Welcome in, everybody, to another edition of Riding the 3x3, hosted by yours truly, Russ Heltman. Lots of news and notes around the sports world to get to this evening. Jalen Ramsey on the move from Jacksonville to L.A., as well as another few players in the NFL world moving from L.A. all across the country. They made a bevy of trades this past Tuesday, and then I'm going to get to the Washington Nationals' impressive, dominant 4-0 sweep of the St. Louis Cardinals to move on to the World Series, and then we'll close out the show with my top three league pass teams to watch this year in the National Basketball Association. We're basically six days out from opening tip of the 2019 season. Cannot wait to get that thing going, and I will be giving my uh, my playoff picks on this very podcast next week, as well as my two teams battling it out at the end of June for that Larry O'Brien trophy. So let's get to it. Riding the 3x3, another week, another great, great time to be a sports fan here in the glass city of Toledo, Ohio. Let's roll right into it. All righty, topic number one, just a bevy of trades going down, basically all involving, all of them actually did involve the Los Angeles Rams this past Tuesday. So let's go through them one by one. I'll go ahead and give my thoughts on them, then we'll move on throughout the rest of the show. So number one, first one that came down the pipeline, they receive Austin Corbett, former second-round pick of the Cleveland Browns. He plays guard, center, can kind of switch in between the three different interior offensive line positions. He is on his way out from Cleveland to the LA Rams for compensation that is looking like it's going to be a fifth, sixth-round pick, something like that, in this year's upcoming draft. Corbett has played one snap this season, according to the Pro Football Focus, has not been able to break into that interior offensive line starting group. It's not hard to see why. When you got guys like Joel Batonio, J.C. Trider in there, it's hard to crack that part of the offensive line. Two of the top 10, arguably top five centers and guards in the National Football League, ESPN's pass block, pass block win rate bears that to be true, as well as the uh, the Pro Football Focus metrics as well. So Austin Corbett headed to the Los Angeles Rams. This is a team that is in desperate, desperate need of offensive line help, especially when you look at them trying to protect their franchise quarterback in Jared Goff. He's getting pressured on almost 30% of his snaps, dropbacks this season. That's almost double of what he faced last year. This team as a, as a whole, this group, offensive line as a whole, according to Pro Football Focus, one of the bottom five units in the National Football League. They got absolutely dominated outside of that opening drive where they ran it right down the throats of the 49ers. They were blown off the line almost every snoop, single snap in the LA Coliseum this past Sunday on their way to a 20-7 to Pretty, pretty surprising 20-7 to blowout defeat at the hands of the still undefeated San Francisco 49ers. So I, I like them going for a kind of dart throw, not really banking too much draft stock in terms of getting Austin Corbett. They're not sending out a lot of draft capital, obviously. Only one pick. It's going to be a late-round selection. And he's a guy that was highly touted coming out of the coming out of college. He was a top 60 pick overall, 
was really the only big miss so far in the tenure of GM Don John Dorsey when you look at just his player acquisitions and his draft picks, so to say. He was expected to be a mainstay on that offensive line. He was expected to maybe even swing outside and play some tackle for them in a spot that they desperately need help with on their own side in Cleveland. But now he's in an L.A. Rams uniform. They just put their guard, Joe Noteboom, on uh, on IR. He was having a struggling season before the injury, and now they had just no options at that position. So I think it's a good a good dart throw on Corbett. Can they get him coached up enough in time to, to be able to contribute to this team and just be passable? They just need a passable offensive line right now to get that offense jump started. They don't need it to be top 10. They don't need it to be top 5. Just get, get it to top 20 over these next couple weeks, and we'll see if Jared Goff and the rest of that offense can start to get a little bit more balanced and start to see a little bit more success consistently on that side of the football. The rest of the trades for the LA Rams concerned the defense. And one guy in particular, a very fiery, very controversial player, especially inside of NFL locker rooms, Marcus Peters, shipped out from LA to the Baltimore Ravens. I love the dart throw by the Baltimore Ravens. All they send is a fifth round pick in the upcoming draft, along with backup linebacker Kenny Young, who has played sparingly this year, has been a pretty mediocre to below average linebacker in terms of pro football focus grading this season. Hasn't played a whole lot of snaps so far in 2019, but gives the Rams another body in the linebacking core to, to be a little bit more versatile. But for the Ravens, this is some. This is a move you had to make. Tavon Young, your one of your best corners coming in the season, done for the year. He is not going to be in their plans if they happen to make the playoffs this year. And then their top overall player at the position, outside of Marlon Humphrey's surprise emergence last year, Jimmy Smith. He's been on the injury report basically all season long. So they needed some more bodies in that cornerback room. They needed some depth to shore that up. And Marcus Peters, when he is consistent, when he is playing with a level head on his shoulders, he he's an all-pro talent. That's the bottom line. He's, he's been a top 15 graded corner this season by pro football focus. He does get burnt a little bit more than you would like, especially on those deep balls. But I think he's going to be a nice plus addition for the Baltimore Ravens. Now we get to the signature trade of the day, the signature trade of the season involving the off-maligned, especially by Jacksonville Jaguars fans ever since he cropped up with that surprise back injury, quote-unquote, Jalen Ramsey. Widely considered, if not the best, a top two to three corner in the National Football League. I think he's very good. He's very talented, just 24 years old. He has allowed the lowest Completion percentage when targeted since 2017. He has been a consistent shutdown corner for one half of the field. I think he possesses a great, great talent. He still hasn't hit his ceiling, in my opinion, at the age, at the young age of 24, especially at that position. I would probably have him right around my third, fourth best cornerback right now. Now, if we're, if if this was this time in 2017, when he graded as the number one overall corner in pro football focuses grading, I think it was right around a 92.6 grade, then yeah, I would have him number one. But I do love me some Stephon Gilmore. I think Justin Coleman as well with the uh, Detroit Lions this year. He has made a massive impact on that cornerback group, as well as, uh, as Quentin Dunbar for the one win Washington Redskins, I get it, but he has played at a very high level this year in all of those losses. So however way you want to cut it, Jalen Ramsey is a top five player at the position. He's going to be able to shut down one half of the field. 
it probably will allow the Los Angeles Rams to play more man coverage. It's something that they have drifted away from dating back to the first year under Wade Phillips in 2017. They were they uh, trotted out 53% of the snaps they played man coverage. Now it's down to about 34%. So expect more man coverage, more tight, man-to-man, body-on-body, mono-imano, smash-mouth defensive football where they just allow Jalen Ramsey to uh, – to, to control one side of the football field. And then they, in my opinion, what they should do is let Jalen Ramsey shut down one half of the field, that half of the field containing the second best wide receiver on the opposing team. And then you double the best because this, if you, if you let Ramsey shut down the number one option and double the second best, I don't think the, I don't think the matchups work out as well in your favor, but the Rams, they're going all in. They gave up a first rounder in 2020, a first rounder in 2021, as well as a fourth rounder in 2021 as well. So it's a fat, fat haul that the Jaguars are returning for Jalen Ramsey. Now you can make the argument that they're not going to get a player in 2020 or 2021 that is going to be able to step in right away and play shutdown defense for one half of the field each and every week of the NFL season. But on the flip side, and this is why I'm not as high on this trade as a lot of people are, are making it out to be, that's cheap, controllable talent that the Los Angeles Rams will not have access to for the next four or five years. They have basically given up their first-round pick. They're going to go basically between 2016 and 2021 without a first-round pick. It's really, really hard to stay competitive, not only stay competitive, but to stay a contender at the top of the NFL ranks when you go five years without a first-round draft pick. I just don't know where they're going to get cheap, controllable talent. We look at that offensive line and then bringing in a cheap, controllable contract in Austin Corbett, albeit one that is disappointed, but how are they going to bring in more Austin Corbett's? How are they going to get guys on that offensive line that are going to be able to consistently prop up Jared Goff? What are they going to do when Andrew Whitworth retires at the end of this season and they have no answer at the left tackle position? You just paid $110 million guaranteed to your starting quarterback, and now you have no premier offensive line talent to prop him up. Now, maybe Austin Corbett can can mold into a premier talent at that position, but I'm not going to hold my breath on that. If you can't crack this Cleveland Browns offensive line, albeit with two great players on the interior, then I don't, I don't know if you're going to be a giant plus player on that terrible LA Rams offensive line. So for LA, it was a whirlwind day. They made a lot of moves. You ship out the best corner on your roster. You bring in a, a player with an obvious higher ceiling a player that is better currently at his position. But when you weigh in the fact that they didn't have to ship out Marcus Peters, I don't know why they did that other than wanting to get him out of the locker room. Like I said, he had played like a top 15, top 20 player at his position this year. You had already lost to keep to for the season. And then you just basically swap out Marcus Peters for Jalen Ramsey while still having a hole at the cornerback position. I'm not quite sure right now if the LA Rams are a better team today than they were yesterday, and they are surely not in a better position as a franchise looking three, four years down the line than they were just, say, 15 months ago when they hadn't yet signed Todd Gurley, when they hadn't signed Brandon Cooks, who's a big contract people don't really talk as much about when they talk about the whiffs on Gurley 
and so far a whiff on Jared Goff. But it, the jury is clearly still out on that. He has played pretty well given the circumstances that he's dealing with on the offensive line. But man, when you think about Andrew Whitworth and his time coming to an end most likely after this season or at least one more season and how head-scratching it is when you think about what they're going to do to address the offensive line, at a, at a certain point, you can't keep giving out re- market-resetting contracts. That's something they're going to have to do with Ramsey. He now holds all the leverage. He knows how much they gave up for him. He knows how desperately they need him on the back end of that defense. And he's going to want to reset the market at the cornerback position. He will become the highest paid corner in the history of the NFL here in the next few months. You can guarantee that. And a guy I didn't even mention, Dante Fowler, who they also traded for to get from the Jacksonville Jaguars. Funny enough, the first round picks of the Jaguars from 2014, 2015, and 2016 now play for the LA Rams. Those being Blake Bortles, Dante Fowler, and now Jalen Ramsey. But Fowler, he's entering the final year of his rookie deal, and he's going to be tough to retain. He's top 10 on ESPN's pass, uh, pass rush win rate statistic. He has done a great job getting pressure on quarterbacks all season long, and it seems like he's kind of rekindled his career during his time in uh, in the City of Angels. So, man, it's... It's, it's really, really tough for me to pick a side on this trade because on one end, you go get that talent. The Rams clearly think at 3-3, three and three, staring up at the 5-1 and one Seattle Seahawks, the undefeated 5-0, and oh, arguably most impressive team in the league so far this year, San Francisco 49ers, and they're thinking, if we don't get the job done this weekend, if we don't go into Atlanta and beat the Falcons, then the season's over, and I'm... I have a pertinence to agree with them because you fall to three and four Seattle and, and San Fran continue to win. They get the six and oh, six and one respectively. You're three games out in the win column. Having already played both those teams once, it's going to be difficult. And maybe this team thinks they're a Jalen Ramsey away from winning the Super Bowl. Maybe they think, Hey, we give Wade Phillips the, the horses on the defensive side to be able to play the type of defense that he wants to play, dating back to the 2017 dominant defense he was able to run with the with the uh, man cover statistics I brought up earlier, and we just let Sean McVay figure it out on the offensive line. It seems to me that's what they're doing. They are banking on Sean McVay's ability to continue innovating and continue being one of the top coaches in the NFL in terms of getting this offense turned around. But on the flip side, and this is where I stand, you can't, you can't scheme away five bad offensive linemen. It's just impossible to do. You can scheme around one. You can scheme around two. But once you get to three, four, and the entire group on that offensive line from left to right tackle, left to right guard, and then center, it's really difficult to scheme around an entire line of bad performance. So really interesting trades going down yesterday. I usually love it when teams go all in to try to win, but right now it doesn't seem like this Rams team currently constituted is one Jalen Ramsey away from being a Super Bowl contender. And it could be this Jalen Ramsey trade away from completely crumbling as a franchise because when you go five years without a first-round draft pick, you better have some great, great coaching, some great luck, and some guys that slip through the cracks in free agency because they're that's the only way they're going to be able to add talent, especially to this hampered, flated, ugly offensive line play they have gotten so far this season. Also, one more uh, one more little tidbit on Ramsey. The Jaguars allowed a lower completion percentage 
fewer yards per game and less touchdowns per game with Ramsey sidelined through three games this season than in the three games they did have him on the field. So take that with for what it's worth. I don't know how much stock you can put into that small sample size, but it is a uh, it is a sample size there nonetheless. Let's move on to topic number two. All right, topic number two. We'll go a little bit quicker on this one. I had to had to wax poetic a little bit on all that all that trade madness coming out of Los Angeles yesterday in Rams world. But the Washington Nationals, hats off to this franchise. You stood your ground. You let Bryce Harper walk. You weren't going to pay him that three hundred plus million dollar deal that he was looking for. You knew you had talent. You knew you had all stars already ready to roll, and you went ahead and used the Bryce Harper money to bring in another stud pitcher to match up with Steven Strasburg and Max Scherzer and Patrick Corbin. And that trio of pitching, along with Anibal Sanchez, who almost tossed a no hitter on, uh, on in Game One, is the reason why this team is heading to the World Series in sweeping fashion. 4-0 sweep. Cardinals never led the series. First two games was the first time any team in MLB history had gone six-plus innings in the playoffs without allowing a hit. It was just a dominant, unbelievable performance. They buried the Cardinals before they even got a chance to to sniff a whiff of Game 5, going up 7-0 in the first inning on Tuesday night. Just a dominant performance by the Washington Nationals. Now, can they keep it going? This is a team that... And this was this actually wild me when I was doing research for the pod today. They had the same record in early June as the Detroit Tigers. Yes, the twenty nine same twenty nineteen Detroit Tigers that were flirting with the two thousand three Detroit Tigers for right around one hundred eighteen losses. So to go from eight nineteen and thirty one through fifty games, f- coming off of a four game sweep at the hands of the New York Mets after that fiftieth game, to being here. In the World Series, coming off a National League Championship Series sweep from this dominant pitching that you recruit in the offseason, it's it is a it's an amazing feat to be honest. And I and I really tip my cap to that entire franchise. They had to come back in the uh, in the wild card playing game. They had to come back in the divisional series down three one with Clayton Kershaw, future Cooperstown enshrinee. On the mound, they overcame that. They didn't have to overcome much in this Cardinals series, and it's because they've been playing with a playoff mentality since that sweep at the hands of the New York Mets. Since early June, they have played every single series like it's October, and that's the reason why this team, as locked in as they are, has dominated so thoroughly throughout these playoffs. I thought that they could get it done. I, I thought that they could be one of those dark horse sleeper teams because of this pitching staff. And when I saw Anibal Sanchez go six plus innings of no hit baseball on in game one, it was over. I was like, all right, this is done. If Anibal Sanchez is going to do this and then they have to face Strasburg, Scherzer and Corbin over the next three games, there's no way they're not. I didn't think they're going to even come close to winning the series, let alone did I think, let alone come close to being swept. So, it was an impressive, impressive playoff run so far by the Washington Nationals. And now the, the question is, will they have too much time off? Will this take away the edge that they've had since early June? They're going to go seven days between games. Obviously, in a perfect world, this is the scenario you want. You want to be able to reset your pitching staff, get those guys some days off, allow them to come in 
and just take let everybody take a little bit of a breather. Because like I said, they've been grinding like it's a playoff run since the beginning of June. Only eight teams out of the 21 swept a league championship series have gone on to win the World Series. The previous five teams to sweep a league championship series have lost the World Series. So it begs the question, is it too much time off? Is there too many days in between these games for the Washington Nationals to retain their edge and continue this run? I'm not sure. I'm I'm, I'm remiss to pick against them against what is likely going to be the Houston Astros who lead the series over the New York Yankees 2-1 to one. game four. Rained out in the Bronx uh, in the Bronx on Wednesday night. Going to play that game on Thursday, October the 18th. But either way you cut it, this is the first team since the Washington Senators in 1923 to advance not only this far in the world in 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 the playoffs, which I don't I'm be honest I don't know if they got this far in that season, but they're the first team since that season just to advance. Period in the playoffs in Washington professional baseball history. So it's been an incredible, incredible run for the Washington Nationals. I tip my cap to not only Ryan Zimmerman, the grizzled old vet who thought maybe he was playing in his final game when he matched up in game five against the LA Dodgers, and now he finally gets to play in a World Series in a Nationals uniform, or Anthony Rendon, who could, who's a dark horse NL MVP candidate and likely going to get a big, big paycheck down the line here in a couple months. And then the 20-year-old Juan Soto, the replacement for Bryce Harper in terms of young phenom talent in Washington baseball. Got to tip your cap to all those guys. And, of course, the pitching staff, which I would say has been, obviously, the crucial key component to this impressive run by the Washington Nationals. And good for good for Washington baseball. It's just, it, it always, just me as a sports fan, if my team, if the Reds aren't going to get in there and do it, then I love seeing a team, a first-time experienced team like the Washington Nationals get to this point and just seeing that stadium, Nationals Park, on uh, during game four, the way that everybody had a look on their face. It's just different when it's your first time doing it, when it's the first time feeling that jubilation. And I can't wait to experience that for the first time because like a lot of people know, None of my teams have advanced even in the playoffs, let alone made it to a championship or a conference championship, anything like that type of series. So I can't wait for that to happen. Hopefully, knock on wood, it happens one day. Let's get to topic number three. My top three league pass teams were just five days away from tip-off, baby. I cannot wait. Ten Maybe eight to ten teams can win the NBA title this year, but there are three at the top of my NBA League Pass rankings going into 2019. Number one, it's got to be the young, high-flying, dynamic New Orleans Pelicans. You got the number one overall pick, Zion Williamson, who is putting up preseason numbers that pale in comparison with anybody who's ever played basketball in the National Basketball Association in its 70-year history. He is putting up phenomenal numbers. Expect those to translate to the regular season. You got guys like Lonzo Ball. Can't wait for the lobs we see from him to Zion. You got Josh Hart. That was a part of that trade deal. Drew Holiday can't be forgot about. Brandon Ingram. Can he take that leap this year? You also got guys like rookie Nikhil Alexander-Walker, who I think is going to be a key component 
to that team. You got uh, the guy from my neck of the woods, Jackson Hayes, the high-flying young center, and the Derek Favors, the, the sharpshooting J.J. Redick. I just think this team is, has, has a lot of variability in the way that they can play, the way they can feature different young players, and I think they're going to be playing in tight, highly contested, knockdown, dragout games throughout the season. I could really see them being above 500 this year and fighting for what is likely to be one open playoff spot at the end of the season. So they're number one on my league pass rankings. Number two, a team that I'm leaning towards choosing to come out of the Eastern Conference, the tall, lanky, defensively dominant Philadelphia 76ers. They're going to be able to trot out a starting five most nights with the shortest player on the floor being the six foot six Josh Richardson. They're just going to be so dynamic offensively. I love the kind of scowling old school mentality that Joel Embiid brings Joel Embiid brings to the uh, the NBA floor each and every night. Ben Simmons looks like he might be taking some three-pointers this year. That's something that every league pass fan is going to be wanting to tune into. And also Tobias Harris, he's going to be interesting. How does Josh Richardson fit into this team? How does the depth work out? Can they be that 60-plus win team that the Milwaukee Bucks were last year? A lot of intriguing storylines coming out of Philadelphia. And then number three, it was tough to pick between the two L.A. teams. I had to go with Lakerland, baby. I had to go with Lakerland. Anthony Davis, LeBron James. What else do I have to say? What else is there to say? You got guys like Rajon Rondo dishing them dimes. LeBron most likely going to be running the point. All season long, I can't wait to see how the chemistry binds with him and Anthony Davis. That's going to be a lot of fun to watch that roster come together. And rumblings are that Dwight Howard, best shape of his life, best mental makeup of his life, and best attitude of his life. I'm really hoping he can stay on this team for the for the entire season, be a nice contributing role player, and maybe be that big rim-running type of presence that they're going to need down the stretch. So Many tough teams to pick, but those are my three for the NBA League Pass rankings. Cannot wait for the NBA season to start next weekend. That's going to wrap it up for episode, what is this, episode 13, 14 of Riding the 3 by 3 Can't wait to keep doing it every single week. Next week, of course, it's probably going to be just an NBA preview episode. Honestly, three topics melded into one. My playoff picks my conference finalists, and my NBA Finals champion. Once again, as always, find us on Spotify, Apple, Google Play, wherever you get your podcasts. Throw us five stars. Throw a little written review on there as well. Always like to read those. And catch next episode dropping each and every Wednesday evening, Thursday morning-ish on your respective podcast feed. Have a great weekend, everybody.